It's good to have you here. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. We're in our series called Happy Is and uh, looking at different passages in the Psalms. Uh, it's good to be back. I was away speaking at a camp last weekend and uh, Don Baker did a phenomenal job. Um, your worship team did a phenomenal job as Scott was on vacation. Uh, we're thankful for all of them who make this possible. Um, we're going to jump into Psalm 146, but let me pray and then we'll welcome, welcome everybody from Tremont and uh, jump right into it. Dear God, we just thank you so much for this morning, another opportunity, man, it's freezing out, my attitude's not the best, but uh, it's an opportunity for us to worship you, to just gather here together and um, turn our hearts, the attention of our hearts back to you. We need that. Um, it's so easy to get distracted and sucked into everything that's going on around us, and in, uh, we don't intend to, but often we lose sight of you in the midst of that. So would you allow us in these moments to kind of turn our attention back to you, open our hearts before you, uh, I pray that you would meet us where we are, you know what we need, speak to us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome here again, 9.30, welcome Tremont, and those of you that'll be watching this online, we're so glad that you're joining us. The cool thing about our Tremont family is they can go sledding right after church. Have you been to that campus? The thing is on like the most epic sledding hill. I don't know if you guys made it up the hill this morning, but getting down should be fun. Um, we're jumping into a... Brand, a, a new message I have for you in Psalm 146. The title of this message is, I Need Help. Somebody needs to shout that out loud this morning, I need help. Don't look at your neighbor and say, you need help. Don't, don't do that. It's, I, I need help. And we're going to look at this passage in, we're closing, we're closing into the end of this series. This series called Happy Is. And this is a series where we've been looking at how the Bible defines happiness and how it gives us a path towards it. Happiness isn't a destination. It's not a new thing. It's not a new person. It's not somewhere you get to that you get to experience happiness. And it's not something you have to say, well, when this happens or when that changes, then I'll be happy. What we've been learning about happiness, at least the true joy that God has for us, is it's something that he has for us on the journey. It's something you can experience even in the midst of difficult circumstances, challenging things. God has this joy, this peace, this happiness. It's not just a feeling. It's something bigger than that. And when scripture says blessed are or blessed is, what it's saying is happy are those. Happy are you when. So we've been looking at that stuff and today's message is called I Need Help. I do need help. I hope you can carry your weight and provide a little help as we jump into this. And I want to I want to read it for you and then we'll we'll talk about we'll talk about some stuff. It says this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing Praise to my God as long as I live. It's such a positive start to the psalm. We're in the end of the book of Psalms. Things have shifted. We're not lamenting anymore in the book of Psalms. The end of the book of Psalms is just like some positive, really encouraging, praise God kind of stuff. 
Do not put your trust in princes, hmm, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Now, here's the key word that we've been talking about. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope, I have those two words circled in my Bible, help and hope, is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. I don't want to be, I don't want to be applying that verse to my life this morning. Uh, the Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. I need help. Do you know how hard that is to say out loud? I've had to practice it in life. When you actually need help, when things are getting tough and difficult, and you're starting to come to terms that maybe you can't do everything on your own strength, you can't get past whatever obstacle you're facing just by yourself, that moment where you realize that you need help, we, we fight that, that admission because it's difficult to say, I need help. There, there's probably been times where, where you should have asked for help and you didn't just because somehow deep inside you felt like it was too vulnerable, uh, you weren't the man you should be or the woman you should be if you need to ask for help. Somehow you felt like asking for help is admitting that you messed something up or you dropped the ball or you let someone down. We, we come to these places in life where everybody, everybody needs help, but we refuse to ask for help because we think it admits a weakness, but we all, we all need help from time to time. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. You don't have to keep quiet when you need help. God's created you and given you a body of believers, his, what he calls his body, to help encourage you and pick you up when you need it. It's difficult to say, I need help, but it's even more difficult when you actually say it and it seems like help doesn't come. Now, I really hope you don't know what that feels like. I, uh, I went to school outside of Chicago, the north side, and we grew up around here, right? So, like, around here, we don't lock windows. I do now. I, we don't lock doors, right? Like, I would literally come home, and my best friends would be like, and we'd be gone for like a week of vacation and I would come home and we would find my best friends like sitting in our living room watching TV. You know what I mean? Like one time they were taking a shower, some one of them was taking a shower. I don't know what he was doing at my house and he needed to take, nobody's there, he's taking a shower upstairs. Like we just left everything unlocked, right? Like it was no big deal. I went to school and I quickly learned like that I gotta lock some stuff around. So I, I built this kind of crazy 
It's not OCD. I don't want to insult people that struggle with OCD. It's not, it's not like that, but like I have this thing. I got to walk around. I got to lock everything all the time. I lock stuff and like I come in from the groceries. I got to go back out to the car to get the rest of the groceries, but I lock the door. You know, I just lock everything out of habit. And what, what, during COVID, I built this huge chicken coop for my, for my kids and my wife. They wanted chickens because they're fun. They're not. <laughs> There's nothing fun about them. I have this rooster named Jerry. This is not part of the sermon. I don't know why I'm telling you all this. Who hates my voice and attacks me every time. I just, this morning, I got in like a fist fight with the stupid chicken. And he won. Like, anyway, I built this huge coop. And it's, it's kind of on the side of our house. And it's big. And it's kind of facing away from the house. And uh, it was a hot, this last summer, it was hot out. We had the air conditioner in the house cranking, and the windows were closed. And Jen was out, like, taking care of the chickens in the chicken coop. Now, if you're not a farmer, I'm not a farmer. Like, that entails, like, cleaning out their little shed thing and, like, giving them this scratch feed stuff that they just rip up the yard with. And, like, there's some work to it, right? So we go outside, and... I decided that I wanted to, I needed to tell her something, so I went outside and I found her, and she was in the middle of doing all that stuff. We had this nice little chat, and I walked out of the chicken coop, and I locked it. <laughs> the fenced-in area, right? Like, I don't even know why I put a lock on the door. I don't think anybody's going to come to my house and steal chickens, and if they, if they are, grab the one named Jerry. <laughs> He's really ugly. Little shrimp of a chicken. <laughs> right? So, like, I slide it closed, and she doesn't notice I slide the lock closed. And, uh, and I go back into the house. You know, about 10 minutes later, she's getting ready to, to, to leave and done, and she goes to open the chicken coop, and she's locked on the inside. Now, without her phone. She doesn't have her phone. She doesn't have anything. And the fencing on the chicken coop is like narrow fencing. You can't like even get a stick through there. And if you could, it would be impossible to pull the little tiny metal lock, deadbolt lock that I put on the chicken coop. So there my wife is yelling for help and all the windows are closed. We're chilling in the house, smiling at each other and drinking iced tea and watching TV or whatever, having a good old time. No idea that Jen is locked in the chicken coop yelling. To make matters worse, like her dad was down there playing around with the tractor about 200 yards away from the coop and couldn't hear her screaming for help. She was out there for 20 minutes, locked in the chicken coop calling for help, and no one's coming. You see, what's worse than being vulnerable enough to ask for help is when you ask for help and no one shows up. And some of, some of you feel like you've been in the chicken coop calling out for God to help. and It doesn't seem like he's showing up. You've had some desperate nights praying, anxious and worried about the direction a relationship is going, her life, or wrestling with some pretty deep and pretty hard feelings in your, in your heart and soul. Maybe you've been crying out about those things, looking for some relief, 
looking for a little rescue, and it feels like God's not showing up for you. And what happens is you start to lose hope. And your trust starts going in the opposite direction. You're stuck in the chicken coop of life. And nobody's saying anything that helps. I think sometimes, if I believe this, I've been through some tough stuff. God does not abandon us. He does not walk out on us. He does not take joy in watching us squirm through the difficult circumstances while he sits on high wondering if we'll make it. Like that's, not, that's not God. He's not dealing out some sort of like silent treatment as punishment. He's not shunning you like Dwight Schrute shuns Andy when he comes back from the office, right? Like he's not, that's not God. Like he promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that he is working in all things for the good of those who love him. These are his promises. This is what he's declared. So I think sometimes when we're calling out for help and we're losing hope, and our trust is taking shots because it seems like God isn't showing up for us. I think sometimes what maybe what's happening is what we, what we really, a couple things, what we really want help for isn't what we really should be seeking help for. Maybe we want something restored that wasn't really healthy for us in the first place. Maybe we want something fixed that we really shouldn't be valuing that high anyway. I don't know, but sometimes it feels like God's not helping. And to understand that he hasn't left us, we have to understand that maybe he's doing something different than what we expect. Maybe what we want isn't what we need. Maybe we're not seeing the bigger picture of what he wants to do. And in the silence, if we could just step back from from our pain a little bit and the circumstances that seem to be consuming us, if we could just pause for a second, maybe we could trust the promises of God over the actions we want to see but aren't getting. This passage is written by a psalmist who says, happy are those whose help is in God, whose hope is in God. And if you've been struggling in your trust of him, whether it's because it just seems far off or you're dealing with some unanswered prayers or things are, Garth Brooks just popped into my ear. Why does that happen in a sermon? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Garth Brooks, unanswered prayers? Anyway, get out, get out, Garth. Uh, maybe if you've been struggling in your, walk and it's been difficult to trust lately maybe if you've been losing hope this message will have some help for you because what I want to talk about is I want to talk about how you can build your confidence in God and grow in your trust of him the the the, the psalmist says blessed are those happy are those whose help is in God 
whose hope is in the Lord. He is so overcome with happiness because he has seen God be his help in times of trouble and he has experienced a hope that is growing that this whole passage is filled with just praise for God. He's looking back on his life and he's saying, man, I needed help and it was difficult, but I, I, I leaned in to God for my help. I, I needed to trust in him. I, it wasn't always easy, but I leaned in to trust him. And because of that, my heart is filled with praise. It's overflowing. He's got that warning in there. Don't trust in princes. And this is a good contrast to what he's trying to pitch us about God. Who are you placing your confidence in. Confidence is a big deal. I used to, I coach a lot of sports growing up. You know, it's just been a part of my life. Um, for most of my life, they're, ju- they're just games. We take them too serious. I take them too seriously sometimes, but it's just games, and you can learn a lot of really important life lessons. I think the best coaches in life are coaching a sport second, and they're coaching a, a person how to be a man or a woman first, right? A good good teammate, a good part of the community. I think that's what great coaches do. It doesn't matter if they're little and uh, don't know baseball from a basketball or if they're big and playing in a national championship title for the national championship title. The best coaches, they try to teach people about life too. And I've always tried to do that. I had some great examples of that growing up. And, and one of my things to go to with, with young developing athletes is to talk about confidence. And I'd say things like, man, you, you got everything you need. You're just missing confidence. Confidence is a big deal. Every time you step on that field, you need to have confidence in yourself, have confidence in your training. You put the work in. You did it. These people are no different than you. They're worried about the same thing. They're wondering if their girlfriend showed up. They're no different than you, right? Like, their moms are in the stands on the other side. Your moms are in this. Like, this, they're no, you just have confidence. It'll go a long way if you have confidence, right? Confidence is a big deal in life. If you have confidence in who you are, in, what the pe- in who surrounds you, you can go pretty far until you meet something that is bigger than you and bigger than the people who you ride with. That's where, that's where my little pep talk falls short. Confidence will get you part of the way, but confidence in yourself, and I hope you have confidence in yourself, confidence in the people that surround you, it'll get you a long way, it'll get you part of the way, but it won't get you all the way. You see, what we need is to have confidence in something bigger than ourselves, in something bigger than a circumstance, in something bigger than the giants and the challenges you face. Do you notice this theme in scripture? I don't know how much time you've spent in reading Bible stories or learning Bible stories, but you get this like really cool theme popping up in some of the heroes. I use that term loosely because they're just like you and just like me and their stories in the Bible, right? Like you have, you have these incredible stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three guys who were taken captive, young men taken captive into Babylon and forced, it's really slavery, to work in the king's court. And they tried to stay true to like their God and live their life great. And this King was off his rocker and built this huge statue and like was forcing everybody to worship the statue and bow down. And these guys are like, we only worship the real God. We can't worship this fake God. I'm not gonna bow down just because everybody else bows down. I'm not gonna take a knee. Like, 
my relationship with my God, the true God, is more important than that. It's not. And so they, they like say, we're not, we're not going to bow down. We do not need to defend ourselves. The God we serve is able. And one way or another, he'll rescue us, they declared. Right before being thrown into a fiery furnace as punishment for not bowing down. I don't know, I don't know if you know the end of the story. It's pretty epic, right? Like they're in the, the furnace and they threw three of them in there and the fire was so hot it like consumed the strong guards that were throwing them in there. That's how hot it was. And when the king looked in, he didn't see three, he saw four. The angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ in the fire with them. That's why we sing that amazing song, right? There's another in the fire. You remember that song? We play it here from time to time. You see, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had is something I want. Their confidence wasn't in them. We made it this far. We've been doing pretty good. <laughs> Survived the capture. We've been doing our part. We're, we're pretty tough. We can handle this. Their, their confidence wasn't in them. Their confidence wasn't even in each other. Well, if I'm going down, I'm going down with the right crew. We've been through stuff and we've gotten out of it before. If I got these guys and they got my back, nothing can stop us. That's not the speech. The speech is, I don't even have to defend myself. My confidence and my trust is in something bigger than you, king. It's in something bigger than me. It's in something bigger than that fire. My confidence is in God. Now, your confidence might have been shaken if you've been looking for help. And it seems like God is silent. But your confidence is not misplaced in him even if you don't see the answers you want. In fact, not seeing the answers you want, instead of triggering a feeling like God has abandoned you, it should remind you that what you're up against is bigger than you. And what you need is to trust someone who sees more than you see who has a bigger plan and a better plan than you could come up with on your own. I think sometimes the lack of answers shows us that God's got something way better than we could ever think of to begin with. Confidence. It, 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 it'll only take you as far as who you have placed your confidence in or what you have placed your confidence in and this psalmist, he's like, man, my confidence is in God. David goes up against Goliath. Okay, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't enough, right? And he, he says to Goliath, as he, he, he tells the king, saw this story. I was, I was a shepherd and I killed a bear, tried to take some sheep. If a bear comes and tries to take a sheep, I'm going to be like, here, good. You know, like, take the sheep, don't eat me. Take the sheep, you know, I don't care, it's, it's a sheep, 
It's going to get stuck in your teeth probably, but you can have it, you know, like. <laughs> David says, I, I took the bear down because God, I had God with me. God enabled me to take down the lion, right? Like, <laughs> and if he got me through that, he'll get me through this. And he goes out to to David or the, in front of Goliath and he shouts this speech out to Goliath. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel whom you have defiled. His confidence, it wasn't in himself. It wasn't God. And it's expressed in trust. This part... This is important, confidence and trust. That's what I want you to really get out of this message. He, he expresses his confidence and then he steps in trust saying, whatever happens, I trust God. He has my best in mind. He's doing something in me and through me and in these circumstances that I may not be able to see. Whatever happens for his glory, it'll be good. I, I, well, if I die, like maybe Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego is like, hey, if I die, it's a win. If he saves us, it's a win. My confidence is in God and my eternal relationship with him. It's lived out in a step of trust. Now, here's what I want to talk to you about with trust. It comes with practice. There's a reason you didn't think about sitting down on that chair when you sat down on that chair right now. Right? Like you didn't, you didn't even look to see if there was a coffee stain on it, probably. You just looked. You said, this is my favorite seat, and it's 930 and freezing out, so there's less people here. I don't got to fight anybody for my favorite seat. I'm, I sit here every time. You know church people love their regular seats. <laughs> yeah. You didn't think about it. You came in, sat right down, probably in a coffee stain, didn't even think about it. You didn't think, is this chair going to? Hold me? Is this chair gonna let me down, right? Like, you just sat on it because, because you've seen it before, because you've sat in a chair, if not like this, this exact chair before, you've sat in other chairs like it before. You, you, you had practice trusting a chair to not throw you on the ground. I have another friend, though. He's a, he's a big dude like me, and he, uh, we have these metal chairs from, like, you know, people throw out, and then you refinish them, those metal, like, porch yard chairs. This guy's got a track record of destroying those. Like, he's put down three. And this last time, we were sitting around the fire at my house, and he, he was hanging out. He looked at it, he said. He looked at it for a while, and I'm like, you gonna sit down, dude? Like, relax, take a load off. You just get to stand there. It's weird. Right, like he, uh, he goes and he's hesitant. I didn't understand what was going on at first and he sits down in a chair and after a little while, he's smiling and then a little while longer, the chair's like <laughs> on the ground, you know, ripped apart. It's not his fault, it's a really old chair that somebody threw out for a reason. And he said to me, he said, you know, I looked at that chair and I thought, I'm not gonna sit on that chair. I can't trust that chair. Two of those chairs let me down before. This one's going to too. I knew I shouldn't have sat on the chair. I'm like, I didn't like the chair anyway, right? Like, trust comes from practice. That's how you learn to trust something. And I wonder if the problem with our faith in crisis is because we never practice faith in contentment. 
I wonder if, why, I mean, I wonder if it's more difficult when things are going hard in life because we don't practice trusting God when things are going easy. I wonder if sometimes we struggle to trust God with the big stuff, like our kids, our health, our finances, our purpose. I wonder if it's because we don't practice trusting God with the little stuff. You see, trust, it grows with practice. And you have reason to trust God even if you don't hear his answers right now. Even if you've been calling out for help, you have reason to trust God because of who he is, because of the promises he made for you, because of what he says about you. You have reason to trust God. And the more you step out and trust him in little things, the stronger your faith will grow. I don't want to have a crisis of faith when I'm actually in crisis. I want to be prepared for whatever life's going to throw at me. I realize that I, I need to practice and learn to trust God in the little things so that when the big things come, man, my confidence is blowing up and my, my ability to step through uncertainty and trust him has been practiced. It's not my first step into the uncertainty. It's not my first step through the darkness. It's not the first step I've taken trying to follow Jesus because I have been putting in steps. I have been trusting him, not just with the big stuff, not just with my kids, not just with my relationship. I've been trusting him with the little stuff, with how I deal with clients at work, with how I walk through a normal day, with how I start my day. I've been trusting him with the little stuff. Here's how to grow confidence and trust. Get to know the one you're playing place in your confidence in. I hope that's why you're here today. You can grow your confidence and trust by getting to know him. And here's my advice to you. If you want to get to know God, start with Jesus. He's the perfect revelation of who God is. God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. He's the perfect revelation of the character of God. A.W. Tozer, a famous author, theologian, said there is nothing more important to study than the character of God. Get to know him. Start with Jesus. Read stories about him. Learn about him. Watch how he interacts with others. Listen to what he says. Get to know him. Another way to grow in confidence and trust is to practice trust by picking something small and then be willing to let God lead you. What's something small in your life you could trust God with? Maybe it's something like a small part of your finances or a small part of a relationship or a friendship or something. Pick something small and can I ask you to write it down? If, if it gets lost if you don't like write it down. Pick something small to trust God with and then just at, communicate with him about it and ask him to lead you and to direct you and then as he leads you and directs you as you learn to trust him in something small just be willing to follow his lead and the third thing I think that'll help you grow in your confidence and trust is to switch your dependence 
off of yourself and onto him. When I want to switch my dependence off of myself or others onto God, I have to make it a priority. I have to start my day with him. I don't know, maybe there's another way you know, but like for me, the, the way I get out of the habit of leaning on myself is I, I get up and I, and I pray, ask God for direction and wisdom and for help. I switch my de- dependence by, by making him the first thing I think about and the first person I talk to by allowing him to have my day. I, I wonder what would change in your life if you did that for 30 days. If you just like started with him, you said a simple prayer like, God, I just want your help today. I need your direction. I give you today. Whatever you're going to do with today, I'm going to try to follow you through it. I give you my day today, whatever you want over whatever I want. You'd be switching your dependence off of yourself and onto him. And the result would be overflowing praise. The first two verses of this, like, just can't shut up about praising God. How crazy would that be in your circumstances right now if you were so confident and trusting so well that, that, that even if your circumstances were difficult or challenging, your overall feeling would be like, I'm blessed. I'm happy. I don't understand everything that's going on and I don't know how I'm gonna get through everything I gotta get through. But I'm happy because I'm confident not in myself and not in the people around me and not in the things I have or the skills I've accomplished or my ability to hustle. I'm not confident in that. I'm confident in a God who has promised me that he's with me no matter what, that, that I'll have trouble, but he has overcome the world. My confidence is in something bigger than me and bigger than the obstacle I face. My confidence is in God. Your, your heart would swell with happiness and joy. And like the psalmist, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to contain it. I, I hope, that's my prayer for you and my prayer for me, that we would grow in our confidence of who God is and that we would learn to trust him, not just in the big things and the scary moments, but in the everyday stuff too. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much. I just want to, you you know our hearts, you know some of us have been feeling like maybe you haven't been there. Our confidence has been starting to shake and our trust starting to slip and we lose hope. We just want to ask you, you don't, you don't owe us anything. You don't have to show us anything, but would you help us lean on your promises even when we're waiting for you to answer? Maybe our faith is shaky because our confidence in you is shaky because we don't really know who you are. Would you help us to, to know this God who is bigger than our circumstances? A God in whom we can place our trust and in whom our trust is well placed. We thank you that you never give up on us. You keep pursuing us with your love. 
We'll have some obstacles to face, but we know that when our confidence is placed in you, when you are our help and you are our hope, whatever happens in life, we know and trust that you're doing something bigger than we can see for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.